So how do we start? Like, uh, um, <laughs> are we are we recording now? Are we rolling? Are we rolling? Yeah, you betcha. Oh, we've been recording this whole time. Well, well, hello everybody. Um, we're back. Me and Isaac are back again. It's Joel and Isaac. Hi there. And today we have another friend with us, and his name is Frank Chithluk, a very awesome person that I think you guys are going to very much so enjoy today. Friend of the podcast here with us. That's uh, that's kind of a, a, a brilliant introduction, and I hope I live up to the hype. <laughs> we have been hyping you. Yeah, well, it's, it's not very difficult. <laughs> it's off to a really good start. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, let's talk about guns. Uh, guns? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a funny. I got a funny Frank story about guns. When we were we were looking in your car for something, and then and then all of a sudden, like, I found like this tiny little like piece of metal, and I was like, I was like, oh, I wonder what this. You know, it looked very insignificant, and then Frank takes a look at it and immediately goes, Oh, that's the pin from my shotgun that's missing. <laughs> I was like, How can you even identify that? How did you even know that that's what that was? But sure enough, that's what it was, wasn't it? That's right. I had been fixing that shotgun, and um, I guess in the pos- process of disassembly, I'd lost a piece, and you found it. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's my funny yeah. gun story. I told that story to uh, to Josie, my wife, and. In my telling, it immediately he had the shotgun in the van and immediately stuck the pin into it after he found it. It's like, oh, there it is. It's <laughs> perfect. But then either you or Frank corrected me and said that actually we went inside and then it was fit into the shotgun. But yeah, I can't remember. I don't know if you know you listeners can really understand what Frank's vehicles are like though, because. Yeah. It could really be anything, and they're, they're very full of tools and toys and. All kinds of useful things. I've got a couple of origin stories on on my vehicle's sort of craziness. You know, I, I uh, I'm a parent now, so that's where the tools and the various seats and seating arrangements and straps for holding down babies and netting for making sure things don't fly around too much. And but then uh, before that, uh, I was in rural Alaska, and you got to be pretty self sufficient on the road, especially when there's like you can't be like. Oh darn! I'm gonna call AAA. Me 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 me. Hi AAA. I'm stuck and I've got a flat at the corner of a, a muskrat swamp and a spruce tree. You just you have to be like, oh well, what do I got in the back here? You dig around in the back of your truck and say, uh huh. Well, this could probably jack up this car and I can. Yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's left over from those days. It's sort of like old habits where. Uh, the, the other day, I did look in the back and say, "Why do I need a pickaxe?" Uh, <laughs> there was, yeah. There's, there's always. It always seems like, it always seems like, it when just the most miscellaneous random thing that we would need, and then you go like to your car and then pull out the perfect tool for it. Like that's what it is that I always feel like your car always does. It's it's disturbingly empty right now, but uh, it is true that I would have different things in there that you could use, like, you know, a come along if you wanted to pull 1,500 pounds of something with 
uh, hand-operated winch. I usually have that in there uh, up until about three weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, I, axes, yeah, that, that stick hatches. is in there still, right? I did leave a stick in there. That's good for <laughs> if you've got toddlers and you're out walking and a dog is coming up and you're like, you have to thread the dog with the stick. You need those. <laughs> so... Is, is Muskrat Swamp in Pine, is that a real intersection, or did you just make that up? Actually, it's a Spruce and, and Maine. But, yeah, I have been stuck at a corner of a trail that was next to a Muskrat Swamp before and been like, oh, well, I guess I'll lever myself out of here by chopping down some willows and putting them under the tires. And <laughs> Was this in Anchorage? No. Where was it? This is in Fort Yukon, where that sort of thing is, you know, expected almost. Yeah. What What is What exactly is a muskrat? Like when you say muskrat swamp, like what kind? Of, I'm picturing like a weasel type of like animal. A muskrat is a small. It is kind of like a little weasel, but it's more of an underwater weasel, so to speak. Huh. They live. They live underwater, and then they. Um, surface for air and then they go back down underwater and they make these muskrat dams you can see kind of like a long strip of dam across a little creek or something like that hmm. it's like it's not like a beaver lodge where you can see this big mound above the it's sort of a lower uh lower amount of construction right very small organization in muskrat dams. Yeah, not not, as, not, not quite as grandiose as a you know, beaver dam. It's not a five-star beaver dam. <laughs> no, no. Beavers are probably like, oh, God, look at that hovel. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you could tell it was a, a beaver dam. I mean, a, a muskrat swamp is by just uh, well, by sight. Well, plus they'll like, pop up now and then, and you're like, Oh, there's a muskrat right there. And like mm. dip down underwater really fast. If you're not expecting it, you're like you hear the sploosh noise. You're like, hey, what was that? Here I am in the wilderness, and I heard a sploosh. So you got stuck in this in the swamp, kind of at the edges of periphery, because like they swim in the water. So it's more that you're uh, in the soft mud next to the swamps or next. Uh, they're not really swamps. They like lakes and mm -hmm. kind of clear water. But mm. It sounds better when you say muskrat swamp because <laughs> it's more evocative, I think. I like it. Yeah. You're not like at a gravel bar next to a lake. <laughs> so, you like, had, so you had to like cut down trees and put them I underneath your car. I think there was something to... like that or there was some something that was there and it was like, huh, oh, well, if I take the bark off of this and stick it under the tire, maybe it'll, yeah, the bark that is, then maybe it'll like give me some traction instead of all mud spinning. So... I think it worked. I mean, here I am today, not still, not living at the muskrat swamp. You're just stuck over there, living off of muskrat in the swamp still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just sipping muskrat swamp tea. Uh, I wouldn't go hungry. At least I have my. Uh, well, I'm I'm sad. Nothing crazy like that happened to us while we were in Point Hope. Nothing really, other than our very long boating trip. That was probably the only, the only thing that was crazy that happened. I don't know. Did 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 I tell you about? Did we tell you about that? The boating trip? In I hadn't really heard. No. 
Did I tell that story already? I don't think I did, did I? I'll hear it again. Well, well, I know you've heard it before, but I can't remember if we told it like oh, on one of the I, previous I podcasts. I thought you just you wanted to tell it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, because I got smushed by a boat trailer, and that was... <laughs> we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, that yeah. was like a very crazy moment. Like, we were, we were both sitting there, and we're... It, Isaac's in the back of this boat and we're in this like really like beachy sandy area so like anytime you put like even the four-wheeler was like going through it and like bogging down like that's how like much gravel there was you know there and so the boat is like right in the middle of that and we're trying to get it out and and so Raymond was like all right Joel get in the front and we're gonna get in the back of this and we're gonna push it up to where it is that we can get the four-wheeler and get it onto the four-wheeler and try to pull it out. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then so I jump in front of this, you know, trailer, and then they start, like, they start trying to push it forward, but it's, like, way too heavy, and, like, my feet are falling underneath me because they're, you know, really deep gravel. And then the next thing you know, like, I fall, like, over to the side, and I still have, like, the tongue of this trailer, like, on my, like, I'm holding it on my side. And then this whole thing just falls, like, directly on me, and I fall, like, into the sand. And I'm sitting there, and, like, Raymond had to, like, come over and, like, lift it up and then I was like I don't, and nobody even acted like it happened everybody was yeah. like oh yeah Joel, Joel just got yeah. crushed by the trailer yeah. he's fine yeah. and then and then we ended up finally getting it out onto the water but it took a yeah. long time well, they were, your job was to push the trailer underneath the boat we were all lifting the boat up and everyone's like okay Joel just like put it under the boat yeah <laughs> which was really not a task for one person yeah so it I could was... kind of see like in the corner of my eye I saw that like the the metal trailer kind of go up, <laughs> yeah. and go over to the side and go down, and I look, <laughs> Joel's like pinned under there. Yeah, his little legs are churning. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was it was. I shouldn't laugh, but <laughs> I I I'm laugh I laughed at it afterwards, but it certainly was very scary during. So we were originally going to talk about guns. Oh yeah, we, we got distracted by about, your cars. Yeah, uh, stories about. Resourcefulness. Resourcefulness, right. And I think guns are part of that continuum in the rural Alaskan scheme of things. I mean, you have tools that you need in case of getting broken down or maybe getting stuck and then, you know, getting attacked by a bear. Maybe you want to have a shotgun around. or That would be nice. I'd take a shotgun over a stick in that situation any right. day. Or, you know, maybe there's a rogue ptarmigan and you're getting kind of hungry. And you're like, yeah, well, there he is. <laughs> There's that rogue darm again. What are you doing? So I think a lot of folks end up with that um, kind of mentality where they have something handy to use in case of mm-hmm. um, in case they need it. And right, I, I don't think it really translates too well to the city. Yeah, so I don't really carry a weapon in the city, but I I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting topic because in in rural Alaska, I feel like sometimes you might need that. Yeah, it's much different. That well, I don't know because, like, because some of my relatives have been not so smart with guns and have gotten you know you know killed by them before, and you know I think the one it was I think one of them was an accident, but then somebody ended up committing suicide with it before with with a gun. But, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of it is that guns have a lot more normalcy value there. And so it's not 
in, it's not huge, huge with, you know, them being abused. But you know, there is obviously in any situation where there's, you know, going to be, you know, guns. It can't be a 100% rate of nobody ever doing something stupid with it, you know. Right, or even just uh, mistakes being made. Like I had a cousin who put a rifle against a snowmobile and you know they got off and they were starting fire or something like that and for whatever reason the snowmobile adjusted maybe the snow went down or the track went up or who knows but the rifle slid off and it happened to point directly at him and shot him in the leg holy moly and uh, it like hit low in his leg and came out like near his crotch. I mean, like, so it was a, a slug that came out. It, well, it was, it was, was a, a rifle, shot. so it a had a, it was a single bullet, but it was like a two twenty three rounder, and those kind of tend to follow the bone. They don't shatter the bone necessarily, so it like went in low on his leg and like traveled up next to the bone, oh. like came out a different way. Oh. He's like, you know, just gimping around after that. Jeez. <laughs> so he was able to make it back to. Yeah, I mean, he survived, but. Uh, that's sort of like, well, I mean, I guess the the first thing that comes to mind is you, he probably shouldn't have leaned it there. And the, right. But the actual first thing is he shouldn't have had it chambered so that it would shoot. Or, right, you know, right. Yeah, like, no like, safety. Well, you, I mean, if you, um, stop, loaded. if you stop on a stop hunting, you know, like you were about to shoot something and it got away and you didn't get a chance to shoot, you should um, probably take the round out of the chamber so you don't have a... Yeah, some sort of danger. Right. I mean, some people are like, I gotta be ready all the time. And it's just like, well, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to cock that weapon. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point. When's the last time you went hunting, Frank? Uh, probably about six years ago. Yeah, it's been a. a back. I still haven't been hunting in a long time either. I think the last time I went hunting probably was in Point Hope. You know, I, I think the last time I went hunting, I was looking for small game. Or actually, maybe it was that I was looking for a moose and encountered some small game. And I was like, well, fresh meat's better than no meat and caught something. But um, Was it a muskrat? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ptarmigan. Uh, those, are, those are hard to... Those are hard to shoot, those birds, because I, c- I could never see them. I have corrective lenses, and I can't see very well as it is. And so when I went ptarmigan hunting before, they, like, totally blend in, like, the white and, like, spotted, you know, ones. I think I think that might be the only t- kind of ptarmigan, maybe. Well, they uh, change in the spring to a little uh, more brown, and then, like, in the winter, they're they're really a lot whiter. Right, yeah. But that's the way I'm used to seeing like them. Towards dusk, if you look and you see a change in color where it's like, it, you know, they, they blend in all day long until <clears> a couple of maybe like 30 minutes before it gets dark. And it's like, then they're a little yellower. And you're like, oh, there's one. That makes, and yeah, like, I did it when it was like almost broad daylight. That probably wasn't a good idea. Like I'm getting snow blind, like just looking everywhere as it is. And you, I've I've almost stepped on them, or you know they fly out and I'm like Wah! I'm kind of get all startled. They're like, wait, that was a ptarmigan. Maybe I should try and get uh, like a gun or something and try and press my firing pin quick. <laughs> <laughs> this is my gun and get that ptarmigan. So, 
How do you prepare ptarmigan? What do you, how do you guys cook it? Well, the first thing you do is pluck it, uh, <laughs> get those feathers off, and then... Um, we mostly just got, like, the, the breast meat, mostly, like, the big chunks of it on the yeah. side there. Yeah, I I do the whole thing like a, like almost like an entire chicken where you have a whole chicken, but, but yeah. yeah. Then they have uh, they have these bones in their legs in their drumsticks, like hmm. extra drum, kind of like turkeys. Mm-hmm. Turkeys have this little strip of yeah, yeah. bone in there, it just sort of like randomly you might not expect any like crunch, but yeah, sometimes people will have uh, will fry it up with a little dusting of. Um, flour and uh, maybe some canned mushrooms on the side and mm. like saute that up mm. and some onions or Ooh. Oh, yeah. some people have totally different recipes too where they like marinate it and try and get the gamey flavor out but i think the flavor is part of the thing it's like right i prefer it i like i like that flavor it's like yeah this i but like i hunted this mm-hmm. like I, I got this wild animal it's just part of nature and you're just like I am part of nature too. I'm eating it as, as opposed to like, let's doctor this up with Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, that's why they use 57 sauce because it can mask that really sort of, well, not really mask it, but it kind of, it can compete with the very gamey flavor of like walrus and like seal. I was telling him that we used to always have a lot of our meats like with 57 sauce, Heinz 57 sauce. Um, yeah, my dad would be like, you know, he would offer people different ways, I guess, because it's like, if you're not expecting it, it might, might be a little intense. So it's mm-hmm. like, how do I gustify this so that people can eat it? And, and it's like, hmm, well, I guess I could use this Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> now, am I understanding gustify correctly? Does that mean like make it for white people? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Gussack, like yeah. Gussack? yeah. Yeah. And Which that's... Is word endymology is like it's from... The, word Cossack, like the Russians, ah. like horsemen, I'm not sure, but anyway, like the, like <laughs> more, the, uh, more Russians, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the Russian uh, explorers or whatever, there's like a couple hundred that were here, maybe up to 500 were here, and that's the occupying force that was here that sold Alaska to the United States. Probably only about 500 Russians, and some of them were the, the Cossacks from the, from the, was the Crozhal Mountains or something. Anyway, the the steppes, the steppe mm-hmm. people, the horsemen, and uh, so those were, those were the contacts. And you'd be like, I guess some um, indigenous people had said, oh well, where, what, what do you call your people? And they're like, Cossacks. So, so since they were among the first um, Caucasian people or white people, that became the name like. Hmm, okay, Cossacks, Cossacks, yeah, hmm. we get it. Hmm, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So he was gussifying some... Uh... Oh, right, yeah, so my, you know, to, to make it palatable to, um, you know, Indo-European tastes or something like that. <laughs> Your Anglo-Saxon taste The Western but... palate. Well, the funny thing is Alaska is probably about as far west as you can get, so oh, yeah. I, I hardly use that term, the western such and such. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. But anyway, so, so you know, you can use a lot of different uh, things to make things taste more beef-like or chicken-like or something mm-hmm. and kind of lose the wild flavor. 
I think probably beaver is among the top where you have to like sort of mask it somehow to get people to um, to eat it if they're not accustomed to it. Maybe I'm yeah, not I don't really think sure. I've never tried beaver before. Yeah, me neither. That's interesting. I guess it's really fatty, so maybe the wood flavor gets infused in that fat. Hmm. But one of the things that we do is kind of um, it's kind of like where you see aged beef. I wonder if that beef would be palatable before it got aged or something like that. Because like, mm-hmm. like like dry aged beef. Well, like like, uh, like you, hang you hang, the, it, yeah, hang yeah. if you hang beaver uh, for a little while, then it seems to like it gets a little bit more mellowed flavored, and it tastes better. Hmm. Yeah, tastes better to everybody really, and so. Yeah, Brant, my roommate, says that um, he doesn't like to eat. Um, like he's a hunter and he gets moose and stuff. And he says he doesn't think the flavor gets good until about a year in the freezer with the with the moose. Whoa, he, he might try uh, getting that in game bags and having hang in a cool area for you know about three weeks or no, maybe not that long. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how long you're supposed to age it to get it to mellow mm-hmm. a little bit, but. Yeah, I think a lot of folks like a fresher moose. They're like, oh, yeah, like my a year old. I yeah, know, yeah. Like, he doesn't. He swears by it. Yeah, <laughs> my first, my first reaction is that yeah, like whenever something's frozen, it tastes different after that. Like, like yeah, this like like I can notice when having caribou whether or not it's fresh or whether or not it's been frozen before, and that's not a like to me that's not desirable. Hmm. Well, then another thing that people um, often overlook is that uh, if you, people are talking about uh, frozen or not frozen meat or or if meat is raw and you're consuming raw meat, and, oh, my gosh, you're so strange. It's like, well, no, it's been processed. If it's frozen, then that's a process of preservation, but also it makes it uh, edible to people if you freeze something. Mm-hmm. And if you eat something that's frozen and it's um not cooked by flame it's kind of cooked by cold if it's frozen it's like mm-hmm. yeah certain isaac tried some of it when we were the whale meat that we had yeah yeah isaac so tried that's, it. that's uh that's that's something that it seems like is a common misconception it's like oh my gosh you don't do anything to your meat and it's like no it's been frozen right and especially well but i do agree that sometimes it tastes better if it's like if it's been frozen right then, and it's like it's still frozen when you're eating it, it still tastes good. But then it's right. like freeze thaw, freeze thaw. Right. Then maybe that's where those ice crystals are just cutting things up and makes it different. So does the freezing actually like kill any bacteria, or like what does it? How does it change the the meat? I don't really know a scientific explanation, but it does. It probably would kill anything that's in there or if there's if there's some sort of parasite or something like that it probably would wouldn't withstand oh, yeah. freezing process because for like sushi legally at a sushi restaurant you have to freeze everything first and let it thaw before you can serve raw fish really i didn't know that i yeah. didn't know that either yeah i thought it, i thought it was desirable for it to be fresh i think people would say that it is but i think whatever like the fda or in this country like you mm. yeah i i think and then like i think that uh well, you know, like ceviche is not cooked in a traditional way with, or maybe not, it depends on people's traditions, but 
that's not something that's like fire cooked or cooked with heat. Right. But yeah. I think so, they use acidity in ceviche to kind of cook and cure the meat, don't they? They use like a yeah, lot of limes and like that's vinegars. Like totally a citrus cook. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Chemi cook. Chemically. Right. It's like. And it's the same, I assume, with the uh, the mikigak. Yeah. It's uh, not that, acid, but it's still like it kind of ferments and cooks right. in that way. Right, but that's just all. It's actually it sits and it ferments in its own in the whale blood, the whale meat, you know, that it has in it. Does it get fizzy or anything? Or? Yeah, yeah. It boils apparently, according to my auntie. <laughs> so I mean, that's kind of like a chemically cooked method too. I mean, it's it's like it's amazing how people will figure something out. And yeah, it works. It's like, yeah, I. It's like I don't know. That's just how we always done it, and it's delicious. Like that's how I feel. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it's, it's kind evolution. of evolution. Yeah, and then um, it's almost subsistence to me. Like the word is almost kind of like clinical or like uh, almost like an outsider yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like come to the planet Earth and say. Do you guys, you air breathers, do you talk about air a lot? <laughs> um, n- n- no, can't say we do unless it's bad. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. No one mentions it because it's so yeah, part I mean, of everything. I mean, that whole festival, we're eating whale right? <laughs> the whole time. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that that's like a a non-topic because it is so much the topic. Right. Yeah. I remember when um we got interviewed by uh some magazine. Remember that when you were it was you, me and Josie and Jocelyn? Oh yeah, we were interviewed by Current. Current. Yeah. yeah. And you brought up a cool thing about um Well, I don't I don't really remember the exact point, but I do remember that we we're talking about um how things are viewed from the outside and how things are Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes people will say uh, they'll go through a, a sort of a deficiency That's uh, model deficiency, versus yeah. you know kind of like a positive like what it, what's what is there kind of mm. as a you know, like oh these poor villagers they ain't got no toilets with running water in them or something like that and it's like whereas you'd be like but look at what we do have <laughs> yeah got uh, all the sunlight twenty four hours a day and until winter and then then <laughs> darkness 24 Look at all hours this abundant darkness we've got yeah. it's very comforting it's like a blanket <laughs> it's like a blanket i don't think i don't think the uh 24 hour sunlight was like a blanket at all i mean it was the opposite of yeah a blanket. it was like you're not going to bed at all oh yeah but the darkness is like that <laughs> well, what else we want to talk about carrots Carrot story. Yeah, carrots. I don't think uh, yeah. I heard about carrots. I'll story. tell you the court carrot story, <laughs> especially since we're, we probably got our deposit back. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> we got our money back, so I can tell you this story. That that account is closed now, so good to go. Um, my uh, my previous landlord didn't really care too much for maintenance, like as far as you know, routine maintenance on a place you. Like, if you own a house, you look at the hot water heater and you say, hmm, well, it's uh, been you know, 11 months and 30 days. 
looks like we're due to flush this hot water heater and make sure there's no sediment in the bottom. Right. They would just let it run for days and day, you know years and until it just crept out. Right. And so some of the plumbing there wasn't quite up to the... Over at your... Over at my previous, your previous uh, apartment. Oh, okay. And so the, they would be like, oh, yeah, uh, if it breaks, just call us. And that's, that was their version of maintenance is like... If it's if something is broken, they'll poke around at it. Right. Well, uh, you know, trying to save money, I ended up getting this case of carrots at uh, Costco. A case of carrots. Like I feel like this is more than just like a dozen carrots from the grocery store or something. Uh, it might have been a bushel. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm a little fuzzy on uh, agriculture cultural terms okay so it was a it was a shit ton of carrots it was a sizable amount of carrots that you probably would uh i tried to share them i I shared a few it was not really uh i probably shared like a regular amount of bags worth like five or six bags of regular size (laughs) bags of carrots anyway I, i was getting rid of carrots left and right but uh it it was a long process and we were eating carrots every day and cooking with carrots and everything. But pretty soon some of the carrots got a little, uh, maybe half the carrots got a little moldy with this white mold. And you're like, well, these carrots are done for. And I was like thinking, well, do we just throw them out? And uh, that's probably would have been the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I probably should have made that decision. At that juncture, looking back, I could say, yes, yes, I should have. But you know, what I ended up doing was I was like, hey, look, uh, here's a city-fied garbage disposal. Well, I'm going to uh, put one or two in there and see how it goes. And I was like, look, I ground it right up. The carrots went down fine. So, right. you know, there's probably like 10 or 15 more carrots that need to be disposed of. And so I'm like sitting there and, yeah. Yeah, and you know the the garbage disposal is like smelling really great, and the whole house <laughs> smells like carrots. And uh, you know, I'm picturing that that, that uh, down in the sewer somewhere, some carrots that are floating up uh, at the some sp- and it's like muskrats having a ball, something. With- and so I'm I'm sitting there, and it's like, and then I'm like, okay, well that's done, good. So you and, got like. 15 carrots down the sink, grinded up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the garbage disposal was in great working condition. looked like it was brand new, practically. Probably had crapped out the year before or something. So it was like this industrial-looking device. Right, right. Well, a little later, uh, I'm going to say the next day or maybe two days later, uh, we're like, huh, it's, water's kind of backing up a little bit. Uh, what's, what's going on here? It's, uh, <laughs> this uh, drain isn't really working in the bathroom as well as it should. I wonder what's... Uh, and so we're like, oh, well, I guess we'll call maintenance. And then, so I go to work, and then I, I come back, and there's this maintenance guy, this poor guy. He's like, you know, mid-60s, mid... Yeah, he's like clearly an experienced maintenance guy. And he's just swearing in Spanish, and it's just... Uh, and he's like kicking something in the front lawn, and it's, the, it's, this, it's this broken plumbing rotor scope thing where you put it down the drain and you snake out the mm-hmm. and so I'm like oh uh, and, and, and it's orange uh, oh, no. it's, it's usually black but it's orange I'm like 
looking at that. I'm like, huh. Um, hmm. I wonder <laughs> if I had something to do with this. <laughs> I wonder if it was that. And then I, you know, I, I go in and there's like uh, the whole place smell like carrots, <laughs> which is good. It could have smelled like sewage, but um, th- there's and there's like broken saw blades, <laughs> with what? like carrots on them. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and oh, wow. I, so I, I had... look at the guy and he's got carrots on his <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you can't deny at this point that you had something to do with this now. I'm like, perhaps I've made a mistake. <laughs> but, um, and, and my wife was telling me, oh, yeah, I don't think he knew the word for carrots because he was like, He's like swearing in Spanish, and then he's like, uh, "We found a, a thing. It's a orange. It's orange, but like this, and shaped like this." And it's like gesturing like a carrot shape, and it's like uh, everywhere. It's like so they had to like cut the pipe in the pipe. Yeah. Oh so, my goodness. Um, that's the that's the carrot story. <laughs> uh. Sometimes when things look like they can handle it, uh, yeah. Right, so the grinder was able to handle it, but not the pipes. I just love the image of just orange, just everywhere, like orange footprints, carrots on his shoes. Oh, right, there was footprints, like orange footprints. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And it was like there was, and the the broken tools with orange on them was a little telling. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like gory. It's like a gory scene there. It's everywhere. Oh, that was a good story. Yeah. I liked that. Well, I think that that would conclude our podcast for for today. And thank you, Frank, for, for joining us today. This was your first podcast experience, isn't it? It is. I hope I don't get, you know, prosecuted for carrot abuse or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that out. No, we have to keep that. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I don't but, think anyone litigious has made it this far in the podcast. Right. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> even quite sure. Yeah, but I think it's... Well, that was great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Until next okay, time. Okay, bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye, Mr. Running Man and Running Lady. <laughs> See ya. Mm-hmm.